Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Daisy is Careering. I'm Daisy Buchanan. I'm an author, a broadcaster, and I'm here with a new podcast inspired by my brand new novel, Careering. It's a story about the complicated relationship between ambition and anxiety, and what you do when you think your job might be the love of your life, but it's never going to love you back. Every episode, I'm going to be talking to a special guest about their own relationship with what they do for a living, how they have navigated the emotional highs and lows of their career, and how we can find a place for ourselves in a world where there is relentless pressure to succeed. How can we work on our own terms, and how can we make work work for us? I'm so excited to share a conversation with my old friend, Emma Gannon. I've known Emma for a long time, and I've seen her soul. She is the host of the hit Control-Alt-Delete podcast, the author of several best-selling books, fiction and non-fiction. Her latest book, Disconnected, How to Stay Human in an Online World, came out at the start of the year, and her novel, Olive, is now available in paperback. Emma is a huge success. To be completely candid, I've been hugely inspired by this and sometimes envious of it. We talk about being recovering workaholics, freelancing, what we miss the most about office life, we both worked at the debrief together, and the professional pressure to constantly do what you've just done better backwards in high heels, and how we both have moments when we feel as though we're tottering through the wasteland after the girl boss apocalypse. Emma Gannon, my first question for you is this. What did you want to be when you were growing up? Oh, that is a good question. And I haven't been asked that for a long time. I think, honestly, and maybe it sounds cheesy, but I did want to be a writer. It's the only thing I can do. And at school, I was good at English. I was good at drama. And that was it. And I I failed basically everything else. So I think it was just like, either you're a writer or good luck to you. (laughs) I think it's so interesting there that you framed your ambitions in terms of what you felt you could do well and what you told you were good at as opposed to what felt good I think that is the most common thing in the world and I think that before we're conscious really we lose touch with that instinctive sense of what feels good and what's fun and what's appealing and I think that quite often there is a massive overlap between what we enjoy and what we're good at but the focus is always on the latter, especially at school. Yeah, and I find it really interesting, the research and the studies when two groups of people are put in a room and some are told they're good at something and the other half of the room aren't praised in any way. The people who are praised go on to do better. And so I'm very aware that because I had people in my life who said, you're quite good at that, you should do more of it. I think that that takes up a lot of of the reasons why I think I have gone on to do what I do. Now, something I would love to talk about is the fact that 
we have both worked in the same office in a world that is not dissimilar from the no world in careering. We were both at the debrief at the same time, weren't we? And I think you were a staffer and you were there full time and I sort of come in occasionally and do holiday cover. My experience of that office was lovely because I was only ever there just keep things ticking over. I felt more free and more relaxed in that office environment than I have done anywhere because I felt like there are no consequences. All they want me to do is write. They know I can write. It's fine. And I remember one baffling day I was covering Hattie's holiday. Hattie was the editor. And someone asked me something like, oh, is it okay if I go home? Or is it okay if I go for my lunch? And I was like, yeah, sure. (laughs) And this idea that I had any authority was so alien. I'd never known that. But what was it like when you were there and it was your full-time job. I imagine the stakes are much higher. I'm so glad you brought this up because I have such fond memories of that office as well. And I don't know if I'm looking back with like rose-tinted spectacles because there were days where I was really anxious and I was really broke and I didn't know if I was any good and I didn't know where it was going to lead. But day to day, just being surrounded by intelligent, smart, funny women, especially during the bloody pandemic, I look back at that and think that was amazing. And I do remember that. I remember us going for lunch and me being like, oh, Daisy is, you know, um, covering for the editor and I'm getting some insights into, you know, <laughs> that side of things. I thought um, you so were going to say, really nice. and I'm getting some itsu, which is probably also what we were doing. We were getting itsu. We were getting itsu. And yeah, I, I really look back at that uh, period of time as a really great time. But I also do remember being quite run down and quite ill. And I didn't look great. Like I remember like my skin was like grey and my hair was always greasy. And the hours were long. Like I would get into the office for half eight and not leave until maybe seven. I mean, that's wild to me now because I'm all about working less hours. But yeah, it was it was a hustle. And did you feel as though that was coming from a sense of external obligation was part of that coming from you did you feel as though it was something you had to do to prove how committed you were reading careering was really nostalgic because I I know that well I don't know whether that book was based on the debrief I'm I'm assuming it wasn't now that you say that that was positive but it, it did remind me of the debrief in some ways because it was that sort of intense environment and I really loved the nostalgia and how it reminded me of that time. And what it reminded me of is that feeling that is quite Devil Wears Prada, which is like a million girls would kill for this job. There was this sense of you're in the room, don't mess this up because there are only a limited number of those jobs. And it is a shiny, well, shiny to the outside world, glamorous job. So I felt like, who am I to not bring my full energy and full attention at all times? When we talk about our dream jobs, and what we want to do you know we want to work for magazines because we want to be in the magazines and that sounds so shallow now and kind of bulking at the fact that I'm saying that's important but yeah I definitely wanted to to look good and feel as glamorous and glossy as the work I was doing was supposed to feel yes a hundred percent and what I find really funny about the magazine culture looking back or interesting either is that you're paid in perks, you're paid in free trips, you're paid in handbags, you're paid in free moisturiser and champagne. You're not really paid very much in monetary, <laughs> physical, tangible 
money and this is something that maybe from the outside you don't realize but there are a lot of bedraggled writers for that reason because yes you're living a great life but you're also sort of treading on water because I wasn't saving any money at that job I was living day to day pay packet to pay packet and I don't know how empowering that actually is because it's kind of a lifestyle choice over you know foundation to build your life on and you know maybe this is changing now and maybe it has changed but I remember the men at the top of the media companies were on great money and there we were as sort of 20 year olds in our 20s so obviously we weren't earning loads of money anyway but it was like there was a big gulf between the jobs there as well and I wonder if that is why our relationship with our ambition and what we yearn for and what we dream about so much of that is contingent on ambition because we can't plan a future until we get promoted until we get the money that allows us to plan for the big things like having a house having a family I interviewed Lily Collins and the interview was at the Four Seasons in Beverly Hills and I stayed at the Four Seasons and I was flown out business class. And I remember at the time reading about Charlize Theron when she started out as a young model, changing her flights and always flying economy and pocketing the difference. For starters, I feel as though if I'd gone to the desk and said, oh, can I just fly economy? The money would have gone back to the production company and not to me. Um, But also, I thought this might be the only time I get to fly, you know, long call or medium haul business class. To be honest, you know, that is the only time I've got to go. But organising the trip and trying to get to work out how I was going to get from the airport to the hotel and the woman at the production company saying, oh, just the taxi, it's like, it's $100, it's nothing, just like, you know, just pay for it and then you can invoice us. I'm like don't have that much cash I can't take that much out of my my current account I'm too scared to check my balance I'm so broke I might have to do it on my credit card and I know you shouldn't take cash out on a credit card and really the anxiety about that really overshadowing this fabulous trip yeah and how people are perceiving you and the reality of the life behind it I mean I find it fascinating because we are millennials I guess we're older millennials now, but working at the debrief, we were the millennial girls in the office and we were like the cool young ones. And I remember, you know, we'd graduated into a recession. Um, A lot of us had huge student loans to repay. I don't think any of us thought, oh, we're going to get on the housing ladder anytime soon. So there was a sense of kind of scarcity and like anxiety I felt in that generation and we have you know I am speaking on behalf of you but speaking on behalf of me um very privileged so therefore if I'm anxious what's everyone else feeling like and really that's sort of why in the end I had to leave and I had to set up my own business essentially because I did think there was a sense of like who's looking out for who's looking out for our generation I think we kind of have to look after ourselves and that's why a lot of people are scrabbling around to really build something that feels secure. I really wanted to speak to you for this because your work is work. You have so much insight into working trends, into our relationship with work. And, you know, in your book, The Multi-Hyphen Method, you talk about that, how we all need to have so many strings to our bow and how that can be really fun and exciting and empowering. And how also it's really hard to stay bounded around that and how how you forge your path. And I've, you know, looked at your career and been excited and exhilarated and sometimes 
envious and I've kind of pictured you it's like we're all on a motorway and you've stepped off the motorway and you're in a forest and you've got a backpack and like a pickaxe and a spade (laughs) and you're like building this amazing path when did you think that the the dots started to kind of join up for you and you started to think professionally there's another way I'm getting off this motorway and I'm charting my path um well thank you first of all for that really amazing analogy because I'm the least capable person in a forest (laughs) we would we would die if I was in charge of us in in the middle of nowhere but no in terms of career building yeah I feel like it is something that I feel I can tap into but I also feel like I'm tapping into my own wants and needs and sometimes that does marry up with maybe what the zeitgeist is doing but I just feel like I lean into my curiosity quite a lot so when I was in magazines and the purse strings were being tightened and people were getting made redundant left, right and centre, at one point it was like the X factor, like who who in what room is coming home, is, is being sent home and who's staying. Like it was really awful and it still is and I find it really upsetting whenever I see announcements of, of big, big closures happening with magazines. And so that was the start of it really is, well, this clearly isn't working and at heart I'm an internet geek I love the fact that we live in a world where you can write something and millions of people could see it whether or not it's published in a print magazine and so I think I just got really excited by the prospects and opportunities that we can create for ourselves even from the blogging era in the in the noughties and so I think I've just experimented and lots of things didn't work and the things that have worked have stuck Uh, But I'm a really big believer in multiple income streams. And that does not mean having 17 different jobs. It just means, you know, having a few little, having a few things that earn you money. And that doesn't have to mean being overworked and stressed. But it's hard, like we just said, to set those boundaries. And I'm still working it out now. I think I always will be. Do you think it's important to make sure that is also work you enjoy? So if, you know, the the stream trickles before it flows you don't resent the the hours you're pushing in it's a really tough one because I kind of go in between this sometimes I feel like yes you you kind of have to enjoy it to a little to to a certain extent so that you don't mind your work-life balance being slightly off but then on the other hand I think no matter who you are or what you do even if you're like a Hollywood actress you will have to do some stuff you don't like for money. That's just the world we live in. You know, I don't think the people we see on our TV screens like selling sofas want to do that. I think that unfortunately we do live in, you know, capitalist world where we all have to play the game of earning money. And I don't earn money, like I don't earn all my money from my books, for example, but my books are everything to me. My novels are just... I feel like the most in touch I am with creativity and not like my soul, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's your, it's your heart and soul. I think that go into write, into writing books. So yeah, of course I have to do other things. I, I can't make a living just by writing books. So that's really where the whole thing came from for me was how do you live a life you like and how do you design a career that doesn't drive you mad, earns you a bit of money and essentially keeps you slightly sane I love the idea of it being something you can design I think that so many of us give our power away and we feel as though our autonomy is so limited and it's so 
simple but so brilliant that I've decided that I will work for love or money. There are things that I get asked to do where if it feels, you know, lucrative and it might not be something I'd sort of wake up one day and think, I really want to do this. I dream of doing this, but I can, you know, do it in an hour a day or whatever. I think, oh, how lovely, how brilliant. Equally, there are things I do, um, like making the Your Book podcast, which um, is not much of an income stream for me, but I get so much from those conversations and the joy of speaking to so many different people and you know I learn so much and it's such a it's almost like um I don't know like a sort of creative writing course or an opportunity to Mm. talk to my heroes and pick their brains it's an incredible thing I love that because you hit the nail on the head really with what work is it is it is a currency exchange you know sometimes I do work for free still for a charity or a cause or something I love I write my newsletter for free because I love writing and I love that sort of exchange that is really just pure. But then I wouldn't say yes to doing something that is clearly a ticketed corporate event where they want you to speak for free. Like I've come down really hard on that thinking, well, why would anyone do that without payment? And I think that is kind of the the endless thing of being self-employed is you, you really have to get your boundaries down on what you will do and what you won't do, what you say yes to, what you don't say yes to. And being a kind of advocate for yourself. And, you know, it's interesting because money can be a trap as well for a lot of people who earn a lot of money in a Mm. job, but then they have no freedom and they don't have any time to spend it and they're miserable. I personally don't think, for me, that's a great exchange. I'd rather earn less money and have more freedom. And I think in the career world, and I know you've spoken about this before, which I love you for, this career advice economy of like everyone giving each other advice all the time it doesn't sit right with me and even though I've written self-help books they're never like here's what to do it's always here's what to think about you have to go and make up your own mind and you have to work out how you want your life to look because we're not the same and what your version of success is will be different to mine and and you get to design your own life in that way Something that I heard lots of different people talking about over the last couple of years and at the beginning of the pandemic, hypothetically a person might earn, you know, what they felt was like a good salary, not really enjoy what they did and not really think about it and use the spare money they had on all kinds of things to distract themselves from the fact they weren't really enjoying it and they'd be drunken teen nights out and sort of, you know, lots of shopping and whatever and then when the world changed and that all the routines got disrupted and it wasn't as easy to kind of put those numbing things in place and people really were forced to think why on earth am I doing this um I think that's the other interesting part of jobs and careers I think we all crave a narrative we all want there to be a story and I think I've definitely put up with lots of periods of being really really exasperated and fed up but thought oh but you know it's darkest before the dawn if I get through this awful thing I will prove myself and I will get rewarded and someone will see me and you know I'm going to be in the lovely sunlit uplands and everything will be fine and 
the shock of realising it's not like that at all. There are always going to be peaks and troughs and ultimately no one but you really cares. Yes. And I've got to say, I loved careering for that reason that you have the 26-year-old Imogen and then you've got Harry who's late 40s. Yeah. And it's like, this is perpetual. This never ends. Like both of them are striving, striving, striving. It's not like you get to Harry's position of being like nearly 50 and you've made it or you feel at the end of the ladder or you feel happy and content. And in a way it was quite triggering because I was like, oh no, (laughs) you don't like magically become absolutely fine and like really zen. But then I think it's sort of up to us to also look at that and unpick that and unpick our relationship with work of how much is tied in with self-esteem and also how much we're going to let other people impact our happiness. Because Mm. I actually saw on LinkedIn this morning, which is kind of relevant to this conversation, that 70%, 75%, sorry, of workers leave their jobs because of a boss, not because of the job. And so that is how much people impact us. That's how much office politics affects our mental health. It's all to do with the people. I thought it was fascinating. I was going to say that's such a good statistic. It's such a bad statistic. Wow. There's a bad bosses out there. I've definitely had non-sexual crushes on my boss like my need to impress them and be noticed by them and wanting them to be proud of me it's gone beyond anything professional and also I've been in those jobs where I've had conversations with you know my work peers I've been like you know desperate to know like the details of their lives like do you remember I'm doing that with teachers as well and being like but you know but who are they going out with and like what do they do at the weekend and and especially because there's so much overlap we just don't know how much of ourselves to bring to work and it, it's so all or nothing that it's really hard to have those boundaries when you're there and it's eight hours a day five days a week more often than not more than eight hours a day and you know you're always thinking about it you probably think about work at some point during the weekend it's no wonder that we take it all so personally and I for a long time I thought well there's something wrong with me because the whole when I think of what business means what work means I think sure like the opposite of personal like why can't I just be a robot I failed because I'm not a robot yeah Yeah, and why should we made to feel bad about that because we're being human and I don't want to be a robot and it makes me think of that whole thing of like yeah how how much to bring your full self to work but also we're still navigating it especially as women like I feel like it's quite gendered as well Mm. like women are very nosy about each other and a part of me thinks it's because we're all trying to work out how to make it work the kind of having it all thing like how does our boss who's also the top of the, the food chain who also apparently has three kids and has a husband and lives two hours out of London. How is she making her life work? And that, like sometimes I feel like that's why we're also kind of trying to work each other out in the office quite a bit. Do you think that you feel more confident now you're not full time in an office with a boss? Do you think you're boosted by being your own boss, or does it vary from day to day? Honestly, I was talking to my dad about this, of all all people, the other day. I was saying that the reason I wanted to be self-employed was so I didn't have to have a boss. I was like, I don't think I could hack. Has someone just peering over your shoulder and making you feel anxious at all times? Like, because my dad's self-employed and he actually quit his job in his 40s to go and start up his own business. 
And I feel like I can talk to him about it sometimes because we're both very, very similar and we both want to just be doing our own thing. And I'm like a solo worker. I don't want a team. I don't want to employ people. I don't want, I just want to be like on my own doing my thing. So even if I was earning barely enough to live, I think I'd be happier than if I was in an office. I think some people who are very sensitive, like me, you can spiral out of control with someone who's making you feel less than. So I feel very lucky that I work for myself and I'm so, so much happier. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And there's a bit in careering actually that that was so. Oh my god, took me way back when I think Harry emails Imogen at like 6pm saying, oh, I just need this, this, this and this for the morning. And it's just that sort of thing, you know, someone having a hold over your life. Nowadays, I'm, you know, I'm putting my out of office on at 4pm and I'm not, and I'm designing, designing my own, um, my own working day. So yeah, I, I'm so glad I don't work in an office. When I wrote the multi-hyphen method, it was quite interesting because people weren't really on board with the whole working from home thing. They thought flexible working was really entitled and it was just loads of millennials who wanted to lie at home watching Homes Under the Hammer when actually millennials are like the most burnt out generation ever because we don't know when to stop. And I just found it really interesting, like this shift that we now see a future where we don't have to be harassed in the office. We don't have to work nine till five, which is actually scientifically like some of the worst hours to work in the day because a lot of people are early birds some people are night owls so you're actually cutting off a lot of people's like thriving hours doing a nine to five we're not in the industrial revolution anymore we don't need to go into an office for like hot water and some lighting we can if we want to be more flexible we have the technology you know to zoom someone in australia and make money and I just find it all so interesting this kind of bums on seats that's still happening right now I have friends who are being pulled back into the office and when they say what is the actual reasoning for you needing me physically to be in the office their bosses can't give one example other than they want to like watch what they're doing and I think trust is the most fundamental thing you should have with your employees so if you don't trust them to work from home like something's a bit wrong there I don't know if this chimes with you at all, but when I am trying to write a novel, which is something I'm trying to do at the moment, the most writing I can do is maybe three hours a day, absolute tops. I can manage, good writing day for me is about 2,000 words, maybe 
3,000 if it's going really, really well and if I really, really push. But after that and after that time, I feel utterly, utterly wrung out and I can maybe reply to some emails. That's pretty much it. Similarly, recording a podcast, you know, which is something I love doing, but I find an hour of a podcast is at least half a day of getting in, getting out, planning, sorting. And I still completely overestimate what I'm capable of in a time. I still feel frustrated. I worry that I'm getting slower. Uh, But then as well, when I started um, freelancing and being asked to write stuff and I knew, you know, what my day rate was and I was still doing bits and pieces of Bliss magazine and they sort of, you know, said, well, well, you know, we'll give you sort of this much and it'll take a day. And those moments that, well, I can make as much money as they'd pay me in a day in two hours of writing and then my day is mine. And that was the most thrilling, liberating thing ever. And yeah, I'm not good for anything after about three o'clock in the afternoon sometimes if something really needs doing I might sort of rally between six and eight and be able to do a little bit more but yeah the middle of the day is kind of a dead zone yeah and that that's that's what excites me as well and the core audience for example of my podcast is small business owners or solo entrepreneurs or freelancers and there is this excitement in being able to charge for your time in a way that is just outside that corporate sort of day-to-day machine. And it does feel really empowering. It allows you to have other things outside of work. Like during the pandemic, I go for really long walks now at lunchtime. I call my friends more often. Like I'm I am a better friend. I have more time for myself. I, I go to the gym. Like there, there are so many benefits to being able to just have a little bit of freedom. So when you know, even reminiscing about the debrief days, I had zero time for myself. And I understand that being in your 20s, you kind of have to do that a bit, you have to put in those hours. But I just feel so lucky that I can now take my foot off the pedal a little bit. But also, just to caveat, by the way, because I know people listening might be like, I love working in an office. And I must say, a lot of what I do and, and, and what I write about with careers is not so much what makes a good career, but what makes a good career for you Mm. and really getting to know yourself. That is the most important thing because I'm an introvert. I love writing. I don't like being around many people in the daytime. I get extremely exhausted after doing public speaking or like you were saying, putting loads of hours into my books. For me, working at home all day by myself is bliss. For someone else, it's been a nightmare and they need social interaction and they probably love teamwork and they love having a boss and but I think this is the whole thing now is this comparison culture of like oh I should be doing what she's doing no you shouldn't you should be doing what you feel is right for you so I think it can be very triggering seeing other people thriving when you're like well why isn't that working for me but it might be that you're trying a different formula that isn't actually working for your personality that's such a good point and I think we've seen such a dramatic pendulum swing that the office was sort of forced on so many people and I think you and I don't like it and it's not right for us but now we're so used to this one size fits all idea and I think workplaces are historically bad at really catering for people and nurturing and nourishing them and getting the most out of them it's like oh we're all doing this instead I mean a really good point that someone needed to kind of point it out to me is that um we're both hugely privileged in that we have nice homes to work in you know we have 
space and peace and quiet. There are so many points in my life where had the pandemic happened when I was 25 and where I lived and working from home there and living in a big house share with people I didn't really know well or like very much, it would have been claustrophobic and horrible. And for lots of people, it's not working from home, it's living at work. And I think that something a nice office will do is ideally they are designed as work environments that will stimulate us and you know be lots of offices aren't pleasant places to be in but they are supposed to be yes exactly that's why I love the debrief so much is because I was at that age when I needed to be surrounded by people I needed to learn from people I needed to be challenged like we'd have our morning meetings where we'd all say our opinions and disagree with each other and still be friends at the end of it and <laughs> I mean the meetings kind of were things off our chest you know yeah. features it was about the features and writing the the content of the day it was I just love the idea that we were just all going to like chat and really really go for it and sort of scrap a bit but I miss the conference I mean something I loved about the office as well was that you could come to conference with a weird old thing it didn't have to be you know hot news just like I can't stop thinking about fudge bars and (laughs) we we can do that we can look at that it was so great it was a it's a real heyday I think of kind of young women's media like I really miss so many of those websites that would just unpick something that was quite niche but really Mm. universal But I also think that getting older means that you renegotiate what success means Mm. to you. I was interviewing someone the other day who's in her early, early 20s, who's an entrepreneur, Instagram influencer, really, really successful, like on the Forbes list. And I was saying to her, do you think your definition of success will change? Because she was saying her definition is being the best, earning loads of money, having a really good body um being the just like the top earner like beating everyone basically Mm. and as a 32 year old I think that sounds exhausting personally and I think it's quite lonely like trying to be the best all the time that competition doesn't appeal to me anymore I just don't have the mental capacity for it and I just found I but then I also saw myself in that in her I saw myself in that like that ambition that drive that that just wanting to be the best and and I think that is like a rites of passage thing I think you have to go through that and then you work out really kind of what matters but then I don't know if that sounds a bit patronizing because I'm not exactly like a 70 year old woman yet (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a really good point and it's definitely something that I absolutely struggle with I've always found it very difficult to live with envy and jealousy and to kind of dig into that and part of that is it's not ever I don't think I've ever ever looked at someone and thought they shouldn't have that I want it for me and it shouldn't be theirs and they're a cow and they've somehow cheated and it's not but just a sort of weird like a shame I suppose of thinking oh I thought I was doing okay I thought I was doing quite well I didn't know this was possible and I feel like I'm working flash out for this and yet there's a this on the horizon and I can't spin all the plates at the same time and as you say it's all about what things mean for us and to us and it's so individual and so personal and I think we are living through this bizarre era where it's never been easier to see what other people are doing and also we don't see the fibre of it And I want to be much more empathetic and kinder 
are more aware. And if I really do need to start thinking when I see someone's triumph, to think good for them and chances are the finished product took a long time to get to and there were lots of peaks and troughs along the way and not to think, oh, why haven't I done that thing yet? I know. It's a very hard realisation and a really hard pill to swallow that unfortunately some things happen for no reason and it's mostly luck and it's like sometimes a book that hasn't sold as many copies or maybe isn't as well reviewed or whatever goes on to be made into a award-winning tv show and yours never will or whatever the example is it's like there's no rhyme or reason it doesn't mean they were more deserving and you weren't Mm. it just means the world annoyingly is really chaotic and out of control and every time i publish a book everyone feels like this when they publish a book it's like wow this could be a viral sensation and sell a million copies or it could be a bit of a flop and end up in a charity box in 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 a charity shop like but that isn't actually anything on you as a person or as a creator and i think dividing that marriage of like self-worth and the outcome is it because it's very toxic Mm. on the person you know I found that I was having a good day if I got a good review and a bad day if I got a bad review but then I don't want to be at the hands of just the response and so it was like really looking at that and and trying not to feel like I wasn't enough and the work wasn't enough like what what if you come from a place of like do you know what what I've done is enough and then now the world gets to react to it in whatever way they want. And I think what's so hard as well with books especially, although I'm sure this applies to so many creative things, as you say, you know, it's our hearts and souls. It's so much of that. We've sit and shown up and done that work and done it on really, really, really hard days and it feels intimate. And then at any given time, anyone's aware of sort of maybe like, 10 or 20 books and the books that you see on the lists and in all the shops and that sort of thing. And I think in our heads, it's really natural to go, so there are these like, there are like 10 authors and I'm, I must be the 11th. We don't hear about the hundreds, probably thousands, maybe millions of authors having the exact same experiences with, you know, books that sort of are, lots of people like them and, you know, and they sell really, really well. Like, you know, the average book sells something like a thousand copies, I think. But because, mm. you know, we are not like, taking personal calls from Steven Spielberg <laughs> with like <laughs> not but, yet <laughs> and I think that's you know because as well when you never ever ever compare down it's true but I I do find that it's the industry that makes people feel like that not the actual art or the writing itself and I think that it's so rewarding and fulfilling to complete something and I think that really is the joy and obviously you want things to be successful but I think it's such a trap I think that you could be on your deathbed and be like, oh, but, and and think of something else. And it's like, I don't know if I want to spend my life that way. I yeah. really don't. Because I think there's one person who is benefiting from making everyone feel like that. And that is someone making a lot of money mm. at the top of some sort of chain. So I think you really have to sort of get to the bottom of why you feel, not you in general, <laughs> why you feel like what you're doing is never enough. Because what you're really saying is, I'm never enough. And I think the minute you start to realise that you find the reward of the doing outweighs the end result, 
it's like the end result is then a bonus, not the like reason you're here. Yes. I heard Glennon Doyle say on a podcast that the thing about capitalism is the house always wins. And I was listening to it while I was making dinner and I just shrieked with pain because I'm like, damn, that's uncomfortably accurate. That, yeah, it gives us tiny wins. We're in the the casino of capitalism and we get these little rewards in Phillips. And we're like, oh, this feels really good. This feels really exciting. I'm going to stay at the table. I'm going to stay at the table. And we lose our lives to it because ultimately yeah it is someone else profiting from us and our time Uh, before I forget I really wanted to go back to your dad um, becoming self-employed in his 40s after I imagine was a fairly kind of you know steady a couple of decades in the traditional workplace Um, I'd love to know what you've learned from him and also I bet he's learned some stuff from you oh that's a lovely question I remember him saying that the minute he started his own business even though it was rocky and took a few years to do well I think he said it felt like it's like someone had his head underwater and then he was coming up for air basically is how he described it like this release of I can now be free to do my own thing and I think that's how I felt when I left the magazine world I felt like I was being like pushed down and I wanted to thrive and try new things I guess I don't know what he's learned from me but I don't know I think it's just this idea of like you can always rebrand you can always reiterate you can always try new things and that actually none of it is necessarily new it's just we're using new technology and we're all just trying things in new ways um yeah, I don't know. That's a really hard question. I'll have to ask him. But it's quite fun when you have someone who just gets you in that way because we're just we're just really similar and we both love doing multiple things. And he's definitely like a multi-hyphenate, I would, I would say. So he's always done a few different things and always curious. And yeah, I'm glad that I've kind of had that encouragement because I do think that makes a huge difference. It must be huge because my dad oh gosh when did he retire it's just after he turned 60 and he's always worked really hard and worked in a really really traditional way and when I said I was going freelance my parents did not conceal their (laughs) anxiety (laughs) and I think that's I've always wanted to encourage people to do it because everyone around me was scared for me I hope that's not because they sort of looked me up and down and thought, no, I don't think that's for you. But yeah, I didn't think it was for me at all. And I, I say I made it work. I did make it work, but that sounds kind of a bit, I don't know, sort of like bitter or forceful. And actually what I was kind of stunned to discover was it was a a blooming and the the things that led to things. And I love, I really love thinking about all the really weird jobs I've done. Um, I went to Leeds and I consulted on a ballet about social media. I was on You and Yours and I tried these stockings impregnated with pheromones and I walked up and down the South Bank and said, excuse me, sorry to bother you. Please smell my legs and tell me if you fancy me. (laughs) All of that. And as you say, you can write something and you do not know who you're reaching. I don't know about whether this is something you feel, but I've been absolutely stunned to when I think about I've met people who have read me and be like wow really I don't know how that's happened but I'm so glad and it's so it's a way of traveling 
I think. Yeah. You know, if you write, yeah, you is. get to have adventures that your words never stop moving around. It's so true. You know, when my novel Olive came out, I wasn't able to do any bookshop, uh, bookshop events or have a launch or anything. I didn't see the book in a, in a bookshop for like a whole year. And I saw that, you know, the book fairies? Mm. It's like this company that basically take your book and hide free copies in different cities around the world. And they'd sent Olive around the world. Like she was in all these American towns. She was in like New Orleans. She was in some random bit in LA. And like there was all these pictures. And I thought, I'm not leaving the house and I'm not going anywhere. But my novel is finding people in all these corners of the world. And it was kind of amazing. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. That makes my heart sore. What a brilliant, brilliant thing to do. And I think, you know, that's the other thing about books, isn't it? Olive is travelling still. She's got so many readers that she has yet to meet. I think that's really, really thrilling. Finally, I would like to ask, what does a dream job mean to you? Um, It's definitely different from what I thought it was in my 20s, that's for sure. I thought it was like power and authority and a corner office and a great wardrobe. And now I think it's a job that allows me to feel creative, that gives me space and freedom and autonomy. I think it's all about for me, can I earn enough money to survive and live and live a life, you know, comfortably, of course, but really underneath it do I have the freedom to literally take that day and do what I like with it and plan my own time that's really the dream I love that Emma thank you so much I just want to keep talking I want to do you know let's do a whole podcast series about this but um it's just been a joy and I never would have predicted that we'd be having this conversation um when we were in our non-corner office together. Thank you. I know it's strange doing like a whistle-stop tour over the last like nine years, but um, has it been so nine much years? has happened. I guess it has. I mostly remember getting cornettos from that Morrison's on the corner. Yeah, I mean, I think I was at the debrief in, debrief in 2013, yeah. 2014. So yeah, it's coming up to, yeah, decade. But, <laughs> you know, we, we have had quite a decade. <laughs> I'm so... Yes. And it hasn't been easy. That's the thing, isn't it? There's no such thing as an overnight success. <laughs> but, you know, thank you so much for your time. I'm so awe of your talent and your skill and the incredible things you have done in those nine years. I think that it's many careers, many lifetimes. And um, you, you know, too, I think you're you a grand success you so on everyone's terms. <laughs> it's my pleasure. And I'm really glad that it, it resonated and it sounded familiar but hopefully not too familiar (laughs) no it really did and obviously no spoilers but it was such a lovely journey for the characters to go on and I think it really mirrors what we're talking about today so everyone go and read it thank you so much for listening to Daisy is careering the podcast is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast with special thanks to Sphere my novel careering is published by Sphere and out now It's available in hardback from all online bookshops with a special signed edition available from Waterstones. It's also available from Amazon where you can find the ebook and the audio book read by Celine Buckins and Joe Hartley. I leave you with this from Stephen Sondheim and Anne Miller. 
First you're another's slow-eyed vamp, then you're someone's mother, then your camp, then you career from career to career. I'm almost through my memoirs and I'm here. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 